Are we ready? I'm ready. Three. How did I? How do I start this? Three, two, one. I believe. I know. I like the countdown, but how do? Hello and welcome, welcome. to the show. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Restoring Human podcast. I'm Jarek Bakken. I'm Dr. Alex Aguello. If you are watching the video and you watched last week, you have context for the amazing thing that's on Alex's head right now. Yes. Alex has headphones. I do have headphones. And if you notice, they are a special color. <laughs> and this is going to kind of uh, look into the future of something that we potentially are going to talk about, which is electromagnetic fields, EMFs, and the danger of them. It's this color because they're special. They block out the electromagnetic field as we're talking here today. That may or may not be completely false. Actually, it's, it's absolutely false. <laughs> but we got Alex some headphones. Uh, I downgraded on my mic this week. But we have a huge upgrade because we've got our buddy Tyler here filming uh, shot two. So that's not necessary. All right. Week three, part two of State of the Union American Health. And this week, we are specifically diving into the economics. <clears throat> yeah. So last week when we, um, I guess, thought of this topic, our goal was to try to get people to listen, right? We want to encourage people to start thinking about their health, to start thinking about prevention, start thinking about health promotion. So we went into kind of the, I guess, the adverse health effects if you're not doing that which is hopefully motivation enough, but if it wasn't, then we wanted to kind of add to that argument and say, well, if you, you know, if you don't really care about feeling well or maybe extending life as much as you can, maybe you are concerned about saving money. Or if you're not concerned about saving money for yourself, maybe you actually care about the country and saving the country money. That would also be good. Yeah, two big things that I think those two points about personally saving money and the country saving money, I think that hits a lot of people close to home, if not directly at home, personally. We kind of left off last week talking a little bit about the personal, not personal, but the amount spent on healthcare per person in the U.S. in a given year is astronomically higher than anywhere else in the world, plus it is not equating to the best health. Right. I just, as I was kind of looking at things to prepare for this, I seen, I usually tell people that the U S spends almost $3 trillion every single year in healthcare, which is twice as much as any other country. But the a statistic that I just seen is it's actually more than the next six countries that spend the most. It's more than all of them combined. That's absurd. <laughs> That's craziness. So, so we got France, we got China, we got Japan, all these countries that can, are concerned about health and spend money on it, but they don't spend anywhere near as much as the United States. So here's a logical place to go with that. Where is that money being spent? Well, a lot of different places, but um, it's mainly the cost. So uh, a basic example is, let's say you're in the hospital and you need an ibuprofen. That ibuprofen might be $1.50, where you can buy 100 of those 
for a dollar fifty potentially if you were to go to a to a store. Sure. So something like that, of course, adds up. Um, but then you—that's just an ibuprofen. But you add up the cost of the stay. You add up when a doctor comes in and talks to you. You add up if there's any sort of surgical procedures that are necessary. Um, unfortunately, this stuff just costs a lot more in our country than it does in in other countries. Do you have any inclining? Is that the right word? Never heard of it. Do you have an inclination? Is that that's maybe the right word to you, sir? Uh, as to why, you know, why this does cost so much more? Um, well, that's a that's a a big topic. Lots of different thoughts on that. Um, but I think it started a long time ago when um, I think hospitals or just healthcare in general kind of went away from um, just being this, I guess, something to fill a need for people. When people were sick, they needed care. And uh, like even a lot of hospitals started nonprofit. Yeah. And some of them are still are, of course, nonprofit. Um, but that kind of switched to becoming, you know, now it's, it's in the business industry. You know, it's not just strictly a, a service industry or, or a healthcare industry. It's, it's, it's really unfortunately big business now. So, yeah, there's something like there's something specific about healthcare though that it seems to not work like the rest of the market. If that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. I said a couple of weeks ago, I may not be as versed in healthcare and the body and everything as you, but like what I do spend a lot of time with is marketing and understanding kind of how business works Mm -hmm. and typically like when somebody's out just completely for a profit and not actually to help people and to like make people's lives better and provide value for people like the market doesn't allow that to survive right so what's the What's the shift and what's the change that is allowing this just system to thrive, really? Because there's a lot of money going around. So there's people thriving off of this, not necessarily in their health, though. Yeah. Excuse me. That reminds me of this is from an article I recently read um, on a health website. It says there's no real marketplace as such as you. The buyer is completely separated from the seller. There's absolutely no market feedback to regulate and control the prices that are charged. For the most part, the hospitals charge as much as they want, which plays a large role on why these charges have gotten so outrageously out of control. This simply doesn't happen in in countries outside of the U.S. So there's like not a a regulation on, you know, let's say it's a a back surgery um, in other industries because of, you know, there's competition and even if there's not competition, the government puts regulation on how much they can actually charge. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't happen, you know, in, in these particular, um, in healthcare costs. So a hospital can, a hospital in California can charge a completely different amount for a back surgery than a hospital in, in, in Davenport, Iowa. Um, but a hospital in Davenport, Iowa can charge a completely different amount from a different hospital in Davenport, Iowa. So there's really no regulation on why and and there's no sure. because this what we're going to get into in a, in a little bit of just how this is i guess personally how we add to this con, um 
I guess, negative consequences of this, of the healthcare system that we have is we kind of have this mindset of there's no other option. Yeah. Like we have to, if we're sick, we need help from the current healthcare system that we have. So we go into it and our first thought is how can I get better? It's not, Hey, how much is this going to cost? Sure. Right. And there's no challenging of it. So it just continues to go up, unfortunately. Yeah. So how, man, how, how do you, I don't even know. It, it, it blows my mind how we even got to this point because not only is it regular people have to kind of trust the system. It's like, even the practitioners have gotten to a point where they believe so strongly in something that is clearly not working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I think that's just the power of a system. Like, um, if the system is going in one direction, it's very difficult for individuals to challenge it. Um, and, and unfortunately in this particular system, if, if individuals like a doctor were to challenge it and maybe do some things differently, um, you know, cause you got the whole insurance game, you got the whole right. pharmaceutical company game, um, all that stuff kind of, I guess would deter people away from challenging the system. So it's hard to do like a doctor coming out and wanting to do what they you know went to school for is helping people and providing good medical care to people. I think it's just becomes more and more difficult, um, as they enter into a, a system, unfortunately that's broken. Yeah. So let's talk about that system. And this whole idea of symptom-based care as opposed to whatever term you want to use, holistic healthcare, um, natural, what, yeah, whatever term you want to throw in there. Let's, let's go there. Yeah. Um, again, like I referenced last week, I think we've just been trained to, to think that health is um, we're fine when, when, when we don't have a symptom and then we're unhealthy when we, when we have a symptom or we're fine when we feel even feel okay. And then we go to our doctor for our yearly checkup and they tell us that we have high blood pressure, high cholesterol. And now we have a sign. Um, now again, we're, we have a health issue. So we tend to just not even think about our health until something like that happens. And because we don't think about our health or really don't even know what the definition of health is, we expect other people now to, to serve us in that way. So we've kind of lost the taking responsibility for our own health. Um, we just assume that we're fine until we need help with our health. And that's kind of the, the philosophy, unfortunately, that's been created in, here, in our country. Yeah. What's the, what do you think the biggest, what's the biggest pushback you receive? So knowing that you, you know, deal with this with, people every single day what's the biggest pushback you receive to somebody who is used to approaching health in this kind of symptom based way and then you start talking to them about lifestyle and prevention like what what is the biggest pushback well probably the biggest pushback is because they've been trained with that mindset of um i'm only have a health problem if i have a symptom they only want to do what's going to get rid of their symptom. Um, and again, very little thought of prevention or health promotion. Um, so when I try to teach people that there's a, a certain lifestyle 
that in, in my opinion is necessary if you want to have health, um, try to implement that and to help people implement that into their life. Unfortunately, a high percentage of people want no part of that because they just want whatever particular symptom they have. They would just like to, to get rid of that or even just minimize it a little bit. Yeah. But then I would say that the, the two big things that keep them, if they're like, yeah, I would, I would kind of like to adopt the lifestyle you're talking about. The two big things that keep them from that are time that it takes because they just assume that it's going to radically change their life to live this lifestyle and take them away from other things that they're now putting time and energy into. And then, of course, costs. Yeah. They think that it's going to be um, astronomical, the amount of money that it's going to cost to live a, a lifestyle that I'm talking about, which is pretty ironic when we think about what we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, here's just a couple of health problems and kind of the cost of them. Uh, gastric bypass surgery. So that's when somebody, of course, has become overweight or obese and does not want to you know, attempt the, the lifestyle to, to make those changes. They would get this sort of surgery. That costs $35,000. A heart valve surgery costs $140,000. Um, spinal surgery, $40,000. Diverticulitis, which is something simple that a lot of people deal with, costs about $18,000 a year on average to treat that. Dialysis, $50,000 a month. Or Crohn's disease, which is inflammatory bowel disease, similar to the ulcerative colitis that I had. They estimate that that cost a person $375,000 over their lifetime. So when you actually think about the cost of being sick, it's that's astronomical compared to right. the cost of, of being healthy. And what I think people get that. I think people can take their brains there and say, oh, yeah, if I don't take care of myself, eventually I'm going to need some sort of surgery. Eventually I'm going to need some sort of big um, therapeutic procedure that's going to cost me a lot of money. I guess I'm just hoping that I don't get there. But what's really never talked about is you're going to be spending all that money at that particular time. And again, because of the model that we have of healthcare, it's only trying to address whatever symptom that you have. So like, you know, Crohn's disease, that's a symptom. That's a, a collection of symptoms that now they call a disease. It costs that much to just manage that symptom or manage that disease. It's not healing, right? right? It's not getting healthy. So when you figure that in of, yeah, it might cost some money to, to develop a lifestyle that's going to allow you to be healthy, but it's all, you're also going to experience health and the benefits of all that. It's not just treating a symptom and making you feel a little bit better, palliating you until unfortunately you live with the disease for the rest of your life. Sure. Yeah. And I think we can dive deeper into what this supporting the body and supporting health looks like. And maybe some of the costs associated with that. I think we will get there. But for right now, let's kind of shift to another aspect of this whole economic craziness that's driving this system mm -hmm. and talk about this idea of big pharma mm -hmm. and maybe even insurance and just how those things are kind of driving all of this cost. Yeah. Um, well, I think the biggest thing that people have to understand about a pharmaceutical company is they're in business to make money, right? They're not in business to 
get people healthy. Um, now, some of the stuff that they do, of course, thank God for it because it saved people's lives in, in crisis situations. Drugs that they come out with, again, are um, can relieve a lot of suffering, can save people's lives. But their primary goal, just like other businesses, is, is to is to make money, right? Which is fine, right? We live in America. You know, capitalism is, is how, how we do things here. So pharmaceutical companies are primarily there to make money. Um, so they use anything and everything to to try to make that happen. Sure. They actually spend, I think it's together, $2.7 billion a year on um, direct-to-consumer advertising. So that's when you watch your television and a commercial pops up and saying, if you suffer from this particular issue, this is a drug that might work, so talk to your doctor about it. Um, That's how much they spend every year on that type of advertising. Um, which is astronomical, you know, right? As far as marketing cost, but it's just a small portion of, yeah. you know, it's just a cost of doing doing business for them. And I don't know, maybe people knew this already, but the United States and then I think it's New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that allow that. Marketing of pharmaceuticals. Yeah, for them to say, when I watch a TV um, show and there's a commercial or I read my magazine and there's an ad, whatever, that's direct to the consumer, Right. So what does that mean? That, that means that instead of somebody having a health issue and then going to their doctor and saying, here's my history, here's a, a, an exam that you've done. And then now we get this diagnosis and the doctor says, based off of the studies that I've read, this is the right medication for you to help you with your problem. Pharmaceutical companies are bypassing all of that and saying, if you have this issue, you as a consumer, here's what you need. And what, what sticks out to me really big here is all of the disconnects between the problem and the solution. So the person has this kind of influence from this big company, then they have to most of the time go speak with their doctor already influenced by this advertising. Then like the doctor doesn't even like hand them something. Then they go to this pharmacist who is like the person actually saying, oh, this guy said this is what you need. Okay, here you go. Like yeah. there's so many different disconnects in it's almost like the the person experiencing the issue is never really talking to anybody about what's going on. It's like, hey, right. I heard this is going to help me. Can you vouch for that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and again, back to the cost, that's where 99.9% percent of the dollars again the 2.8 trillion dollars which they think by 2019 is going to be like 4.7 trillion dollars which i didn't even know that that's there's a, that amount of money possible but um 99.9 percent the world health organization determined this they said that 99.9 percent of the dollars that are spent the united states are on symptom treatment disease treatment, disease management type care. Mm -hmm. Only 0.1% of the dollars are spent on health promotion. So somebody paying for whether it's advice or some sort of um, modality, whatever it might be, that's going to promote health in that person's body. It's not. It's 99.9% is spent on wait until you get sick Mm -hmm. and then we'll try to make you feel better. How has that affected your practice? since people have 
it's obviously where the dollars are getting spent. And so I know it influences people's thought process. How, how have you had to fight against that ideology within your own practice? Yeah. I mean, again, um, because I guess my dream for a practice would just be educating people and assisting them and living a healthy lifestyle. Now as a chiropractor, of course I provide chiropractic care, but again, for me, just like I, uh, take care of my family, I take care of my wife every single week. Um, I'm not doing that because they have a symptom, right? I'm doing that because I know that, um, a healthy spine and nervous system is health promoting. So again, 90, 95% of the people that come into my office aren't looking for my care because of that reason, right? They're looking for it because they have some sort of a symptom and now they need my help. Yeah. Right. So I guess from a, um, it's, it's challenging because if I have that dream and then now it's still, it's kind of totally opposite of mm -hmm. the people that are coming in. Um, so what I've had to do is figure out how I can I communicate this lifestyle, how can I communicate health promotion from a person that maybe has this philosophy of saying, Hey, I'm fine until I have a symptom to saying, well, you know, let's start looking more at, at lifestyle. Let's start looking more at health promotion. And I think it's changing. I think it, I, I could say from experience, it's gotten, there's, I've seen a change, a shift, um, or when I started, you know, seven years ago, it was all that. Um, but now more and more people are, are starting to, to figure out that I need to do something before I actually experience some sort of health issue. Yeah. And I suppose that was slightly a loaded question because I think that's a big part of what we're doing here. I've actually lost you in here. I don't know if that uh -oh. matters. Oh, I can still hear myself. Maybe I yanked this. Oh, maybe. How about we do this? I got you back. We can, that's all right. We can take a quick break. We'll be back shortly with, and I, people say this, take a break, come back shortly. It's not on the finished product. It's not going to be cut any different. So imagine this wrinkle in time that's about to happen and we're going to be back. <laughs> and we're back. Go. All right. So we've talked about the astronomical cost of quote unquote healthcare in the United States. Yeah. Let's get practical. How can we save money and be healthy? Yeah. So uh, I got a list here Ooh. that maybe we'll go through. The first one would be if you or your child has some sort of health issue or what you think is an emergency situation come up, um, if you go into the emergency room or like an urgent care facility, of course, there's going to be a cost to that, right? Mm -hmm. If you're able to get into your doctor, which unfortunately, most of the time there's an emergency is on the weekends or at night when your doctor can't see you. Um, but even if you went to your doctor, that would be a cost. So, um, one of the ways to save money would just be educating yourself on what actually is an emergency and what is not. Yeah. Right now for me, um, having done this for a lot longer than, than probably most people were talking to, um, what I see as an emergency is a lot different than what other people see as an emergency. Um, some people think, I don't think anything's an emergency, which that's not the case, right? If I, my arm gets cut off, let's be like all cards on the table. My wife is one of those people who thinks Alex thinks nothing is an emergency. <laughs> Well, let me speak to Jill specifically. <laughs> if my arm gets cut off, 
Like I'm not asking Emily what oil I should use. Yeah. Right. I'm not, you know, seeing if we have oh, I you know, too hard. <laughs> coconut oil in the, in the, in the cupboard for that. Um, that's an emergency. I'm going to go and regardless of the cost, my life needs to be saved and the suffering I'm in needs to be relieved. So, um, I guess the, the first thing that I would recommend is, is be educating yourself on what is an emergency, what is not so that you can not go as much. There's research that shows that over 50% of the emergency visits were unnecessary. And I think, I think people's experiences tell them that it's like so many times you go, you show up and it's like, okay, thankfully nothing was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And again, there's a difference in like, if you're going to emergency room, um, and if you're going to, to your doctor or to an urgent care, but all of them are, are, are going to have costs. But when you enter into that emergency room, then it gets back to what we were talking about in the beginning, how they they determine what the prices are, right? It's not like, yeah. hey, I'm only going to go to this hospital because they their prices are better than, than other hospitals. You're going to go into the hospital because you're in a, in a position where you think, I need care now. Um, but again, over 50% of the time, they're saying no. And again, that's, that's the medical community saying that. That's saying when people came in, we looked at them and we're hoping to help them, but they didn't really need our help. Yeah. And if you think about somebody who understands health and the body and, and the just amazing ability the body has to heal itself and really just get through problems on its own, um, now that percentage goes up a lot higher. Yeah. Um, so again, educating yourself. And then even let's say you think it is an emergency and you're not to the place where you're ready to take on things yourself. Um, just going to kind of like an urgent care facility um, instead of an emergency room, but also save you money. I mean, I think that's why they, they started them. Look at this. This is just a comparison done by debt.org. It says that for uh, acute bronchitis, if you go to the emergency room on average, it'll cost you $600. An urgent care facility will cost you $100. Wow. A sore throat, which is most likely those things that 50% said you shouldn't go, but people go to the emergency room for that and it costs them five over $500 and it'll cost you less than a hundred dollars at an urgent care facility. Wow. Sinusitis just means your sinuses are inflamed over $600 at an emergency room, a hundred dollars at an urgent care facility. So again, that would probably be the number one recommendation is even if you didn't research and look into what's actually an emergency, just when you think it's an emergency, maybe choosing the right spot to go to get the help, that's going to save you a lot of money. Sure. Okay. What's point two here? Point two would be move. Ooh. And you could probably speak like to this. to a different climate? <laughs> that might help, but... <laughs> Um, no, it's movement, right? Moving yeah. throughout the day. So we talked about the standing versus sitting last week. So that's part of it that you're not just sitting in a position that you weren't intended to sit for long periods of time, but getting out and moving as much as you possibly can. Now we both exercise. We do what's called high intensity exercise, um, short duration type exercise. We will add in some, some lower intensity, longer duration. We also like to lift heavy things. And we'll get into that in a second. But let me just read. This is just if you walked for 30 minutes a day, you would, or not just you, right? Everybody. If everybody walked 30 minutes a day, we'd prevent up to 91% of the cases of obesity and type 2 diabetes. <sighs> prevent up to 50% of all cases of heart disease. Reduce the risk of stroke by 25 to 30%. Prevent all stroke deaths by 50%. 
reduce hospital readmissions for heart failure patients by 70%. We'd restore or maintain heart and blood vessel health. We would restore and maintain normal cholesterol, triglycerides. We'd reduce breast cancer by 60%. Mm -hmm. And that's something we'll get into why what cancer actually has to do with exercise. But all this stuff is craziness. 50% of colon cancer, you would gallbladder removal would decrease by 20%. Your immune system function would increase. That's just if you walked 30 minutes a day. That's We want you to move throughout the day, right? Hopefully you're walking more than that. Hopefully you're doing some higher intensity stuff. Um, hopefully you're picking up heavy weights, which why am I saying that? Um, when they're, they're starting to do a lot of research on just what's called the metabolic profile. What is What are your hormones doing in your body and how that relates to your health? Um, well, they're finding that people that actually lift heavy things that have more muscle mass have a way better metabolic profile, um, of course, than somebody who does no exercise, but even for somebody that does a lot of aerobic type exercise. Mm-hmm. So long runs, treadmill, elliptical, you know, the, the group classes, those things are definitely have some health benefits, but people that just do strength programs, they have a way better metabolic profile than those, those other people. Plus, when they look at morbidity and mortality rates, the amount of muscle mass that you have on your body is one of the highest predictors of that. Yeah. Of whether or not you're going to pretty much be die or, or be miserable early on in life. Yeah, for sure. So here's some real life stuff for this point. Like I said last week, I can officially say that I'm a CrossFit trainer now. Um, but I see people in the gym almost every single day. And I have a couple people in particular who I've been talking to them about, uh, you know, well, I haven't been talking to them about, they've been, they've come to me and said, Hey, I'm off this medication. Hey, I'm off this medication. One guy just told me the other day, you were actually there. He's been coming to the gym for a couple weeks now. He's been on this synthetic Vicodin is what he called it. And you probably know exactly what it is. I have no idea what that is. I have no idea why he was taking it, but he's been coming to the gym. He said, I've been four days without this and I haven't felt better in 10 years. And like, again, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on inside of him, but what I know is that moving and doing the stuff that we're doing in the gym is just kind of building this hedge against sickness and building you up closer to this wellness and health and it doesn't like i don't have to understand it right like the, moving is a good idea okay right exactly and and in his situation his was from a kind of a traumatic injury that happened i think 10 years yeah. ago which somebody said so where he again it was probably necessary that he went on this medication um but it probably wasn't necessary for him to stay on that medication that long but sure. he was just constantly in pain so you would think, well, something dramatic had to happen to his body with some sort of, again, a medication um, or, or some type of maybe body work that would happen, change things. But what he did was he started exercising, Yeah. which this might be counterintuitive to some people. If I'm in a lot of pain, I can't exercise. Yeah. He started exercising and now he's out of pain and feeling amazing and off a of medication that he's been on for 10 years. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, yeah, it's incredible. That's pretty crazy. It's incredible. Number three would be eat real many, food. I don't know how many points you got here, but <laughs> what's that? I, said, I don't know how many points you have here. I was going to ask for number three, but I wanted to oh. make sure there was a number three. I'll probably just keep going with points. So I don't know. If <laughs> put a number on. Okay. Eat real food. 
Um, why that's important is because when you eat something that's taken away from its natural state, which is called processed food, it's just full of chemicals. It's full of added sugar. It's full of um, fats that have been damaged um, and all to, again, increase shelf life, right? To be in a bag or box or something on the shelf longer than it, it should be or would be. Um, all those things, our body has to figure out what to do with them. Right, so if you just put an apple or um, some other type of real food in your body, your body knows exactly what to do with that, breaks it down and assimilates the nutrients and turns it into vitamins, minerals, all the stuff that it needs, and then eliminates what it doesn't need. Where when you put a processed food in your body, your body's like, wait, is there anything in here, this thing that I can use? So it has to really, I guess, work harder to break it down first and then to say, where are their nutrients at? Can I get them? And then to try to eliminate that is more difficult for it too. So you're backing up your digestive system, your immune system turns on because those things create inflammation. And then now when your immune system is attacking those sort of things, now you're looking at just even simple immune system issues like colds and flus and, and you know being able to fight yeah. off other things like that. And the things that we just referenced there of, of why people are going in the uh, emergency room versus urgent care is, you know, it was acute bronchitis, immune system issue. It was ear infections. It was sore throat. It was everything that's kind of related to what um, the body just has an amazing ability to heal from as long as we're giving it what it needs and staying away from what it doesn't really. Um, and, and real food is, is a huge, huge thing there. Yeah. And so again, another topic that we can dive way deeper into, you know, macronutrient balances and, a good supply of all different kinds of micronutrients and all different ways to really tweak food, but super simple, real food. Mm -hmm. If you can recognize it in nature, like that's probably a much better idea than 99% of anything else you could grab. Yeah. And just number of ingredients in it, right? Sure. An apple has one. That's, that's true. Cause it's not like, you know, it's not like, you're eating completely raw foods, you know, like mm -hmm. you'll, you'll get different things that are, you know, some, some degree of processing or packaging or whatever, mm -hmm. but being able to flip it over, not be as concerned about, you know, the, you know, the nutrition facts that everybody, you know, yeah, how much of, fat, how much right, right. Protein. Like we can, we can learn a lot there, but that ingredients list, oh my God goodness like so much more can be told there than yeah yep yep just the length of it right if there's 50 in there it's probably not something you should put in your body and then if you can't pronounce half of them it's also something that yeah. you should be putting in your body of course and that's why you know i'm sure our listeners have, have heard of people say stay on the outside of the grocery aisle yeah right? that's kind of a basic thing yeah well the reason is because all the package stuff is on the inside of the grocery aisle. So if you stay on the outside, you're going to, you know, go, you're already going to be halfway there yeah. avoiding a lot of stuff. You shouldn't be very true. Shouldn't be eating. Very true. Next thing is get outside. Love it. Lots of benefits there. Um, I'll start with toxicity. They know that inside of buildings, inside your house, inside your workplace, wherever it may be, is at least twice, some people think 50 times more toxic than outdoor air. And we know that there's pollution, obviously, in the air. So 
you're going to avoid a lot of toxicity, which again attacks your immune system, um, just destroys your cells, you know, is, is uh, very aging to your body, can throw off your hormones. So toxicity is a big deal. So just a, a, a great way of avoiding toxicity is to try to get outside as much as you can. Yeah. Second big reason there is the sun is powerful. And the sun, when we absorb the rays of the sun, our body creates something called vitamin D, which I'm sure a lot of people know about. That's primarily where we're supposed to get um, vitamin D made in our body is just absorbing the, the sunlight. So getting out there as much as you possibly can, which sometimes can be difficult where we're at, right? In the Quad Cities because sure. it's um, wintertime and tough to get out there. But uh, getting out there, letting sun get on your skin, um, letting sun get in your eyes, yeah. all that stuff is is powerful for just your immune system, for your brain, for your entire body. Um, and of course, we can, we probably will do a whole episode on that for um, sure. at some for point. For sure. And then, uh, and then something, again, that I'm just now starting to learn more about, and I referenced it at the beginning, um, of just this electromagnetic fields yeah. when you're out in nature, yeah. that stuff gets minimized. And what I mean by that is like, when we're, so we're doing this podcast and there's a lot of technology going on. There's a lot of electricity. There's a lot of wireless networks. All that stuff has its own fields and can, can do some, some bad things to your body that people are just learning about. Um, so you're going to avoid a lot of that when you get out into, For into sure. nature. And I hear that a lot. People even that are kind of in a, a sick state and they don't feel well ever when they get outside, they feel a little bit better and I was like why and they think it's you know because they enjoy being outside well, right well I mean that, and that's part of it sure sure but there's a lot more going on of why yeah. that's the case just being out in creation is is definitely beneficial for your health yeah and I think there's a lot a ton of different ways you can kind of hack this per se you know I've taken a few like one-on-one -on -one meetings and I was like hey I don't want to sit here at this desk. Let's just go walk around outside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for one, you're both standing and moving. That makes your brain work better. Plus, it's just a way to just get a little micro dose of being outside. Working out outside, you know, like even us, we spend a ton of time in the gym, but literally, okay, let's take these weights outside. Let's incorporate some running in here. Like even just tiny, tiny little things like that accumulate. Uh, our kids are obsessed with eating dinner outside. Nice. Like, it's just like this inbred thing, Jovi, almost every single night. And especially now when it's like just now starting to be nice. I was like, can we eat dinner outside tonight? Like, just wants to be out there. Like her, you know, she doesn't know much different other than, oh, this is awesome outside. But I know that she has stuff going on inside of her that is naturally telling her outside is good. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I'll say about that is again, we'll make this again, probably a whole nother show, yeah. but, uh, Go fast. we're too clean here. Um, Ooh. we want to, you know, antibacterial, antiviral, anti everything. We want to be inside and avoid germs, and all that stuff. And, and they've shown in studies that farmers that are out in nature, farmers that are walking barefoot on mm -hmm. the dirt, have a way better immune system than people who are not doing that. They also know that people that have dogs have a better immune system than people who don't have dogs. Why? Because the dogs yeah. are outside running around in the dirt and then yeah. you come and, and you, of course, most people wash them off before they start walking on the carpet, but they're at least touching them. Um, so how we interact with our soil, how we interact with the bugs, right, that everybody doesn't like, that's highly beneficial for, for our bodies. For sure. So, for sure. Uh, yeah. Real quick. 
this camera's about to die. Are you still rolling good? Still rolling two bars. Okay, wonderful. I'll tell you when this dies, you go to a wide shot there, or you can flip it around and see for yourself. But we're going to keep trucking along as long as you've got battery still, because we'll just use that shot. Okay. Uh, I can hurry. Next one, sleep well. There we go. Uh, extremely important. You know, six, eight hours. Some people need nine, ten hours, depending on, you know, just the overall state of health. Kids, you know, mm-hmm. even 10, 12 hours of sleep they can get. Um, and there's just a lot of lot that happens with sleep. Um but just kind of generally, that's when our bodies rebuild and repair. So even if you do bad things to your body that destroys it, um, if you sleep, your body has, again, just amazing ability to heal and repair and rebuild. And um, If you're not sleeping, a lot of the stuff even that you're doing that's good is not going to have the effect yeah. that it should because yeah. not, your body's not getting the rest that it should. Yeah. So sleeping ideally you know, getting to bed by nine, 10 o'clock at night. Cause there's something about this period between like 10 and 2 a 10 PM and 2 AM. That's powerful for your body. It's just the, I guess the, the time where your body can really get into that deep sleep where mm-hmm. you can dream things like that. That's also important. Um, yeah. So just healing is going to happen and you're going to be able to avoid all these things that lead to health problems where people are going into the doctor's office and, and having to spend money and sleeping's free. Yeah. And, so. it, and again, another thing that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Our days and our life is literally dictated by our daylight. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, when you get to those wee hours where it's dark, like we're we're only in this really small, you know, section of history where we've even had the opportunity to have this light that allows us to do things outside of when the sunlight, you know, isn't providing what we need to function. Right. So like that's, that's a natural rhythm that we can just, again, see in nature. This is kind of how daily life should work. We need to rest. Absolutely. Yeah. So sleep really important. And uh, I could keep going. We'll just do one more quiet time. Is this, is this point five or six? I don't know. Six, maybe. Okay. Quiet time. I've lost count. Uh, so what that means is getting away from the craziness of how life is set up right now, right? So um, whether that's quiet time with your family, quiet time with just yourself, uh, of course, with us, that you're, there's going to be prayer there. There's going to be scripture reading. There's going to be meditating on scripture. Those things, of course, have a much bigger impact on, on us, on spiritual health in our spiritual lives than even somebody that, that that's not going to go there. But just even that the physical, mental, emotional benefits from just being in quiet are, again, we're starting to just learn about why mm-hmm. that's so powerful. But one of the things it does is if I could get a little bit technical here, um, our nervous system, um, which is your brain, spinal cord nerves, really, you know, it's everything that contr- it's what controls everything else in our body. Um, there's a couple different parts of it. There's a parasympathetic part of it and a sympathetic part. The sympathetic part is kind of um, what's called fight or, fight or flight controls that mechanism. So when we're under a stress, we go into the sympathetic state um, and there's an imbalance there. You're more sympathetic nervous system firing than parasympathetic nervous system. Um, and when you are quiet, when you get away from the craziness, that balances back out. Yeah. So it lowers our stress response, which if you're 
in chronic stress, that's leading to all the health problems that everybody deal with. That's leading to inflammation. That's leading to metabolic issues. That's leading to immune system issues, brain issues. Everything that people struggle with now has so much to do with just being under constant stress, chemical, physical, mental, emotional stress. Yeah. So just being quiet can kind of help balance that out. So finding some time to get quiet, which I know is difficult. Absolutely. So out of all of those points, I'm going to say only one of them actually costs any money because, so your first two points, the ER, emergent, urgent care stuff, like that's the only one that really costs money because when we're talking about eating real food, you're, just, you're spending money on food already. Right. Everybody's right. spending money on food. So right. that's like kind of negated because you're already spending that money. It's just how you're directing that money. And we can definitely talk about the cost of eating good real food compared to other stuff because people, so I was actually just talking to my wife about this earlier this week. We will sometimes get like flack from friends talking about how much their grocery bill is when they buy real food. But in reality, they're comparing that to what they normally spend on groceries. They're not comparing that to what they normally spend on food. Yeah. You know, when you're eating out and, you know, going to grab something quick, not, preparing anything that cost unbelievable how that compares to just buying enough food from the grocery store that's gonna you know keep you supplied right right yeah that makes me think of a uh not a patient i think it was a story a patient was telling me where a family member of theirs have not eaten at home since november so they obviously eat out. Um, maybe that was they prepare food and take it for lunch too. But they, yeah, there's of course <laughs> the negative health effects of that are going to add up. But just even the cost oh, of for sure to eat for sure. And yeah, with the health effects, like I feel like there are I could list on one hand the places that we can go out get food. And I'm not thinking about any type of compromise I'm making as far as like how the food is prepared or what I have the ability to order. Like right. I, I know how I'm preparing things here at home. And again, maybe less, less than one hand, I can count the places where I'm not compromising anything. So most places making some kind of compromise, making an informed decision about what I'm eating, but not close to as good as I could do it here. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's tough to find that. So you're right. I mean, this list, you can get quiet for free. You can sleep for free. You can move for free. You can not, you know, run right away to, to get some sort of emergency medical care for free. Really, the entire list is saving you money. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. I think that's it for our economics talk. We will absolutely be diving further into a lot of the different things we opened up here um, today. But uh, do we do we know where we're going next week? I think our, the computer does. The computer does. What I've got written down here is what is normal, what is human. Yeah, I think that we wanted so that's we a good place to go. <clears throat> 
have this, the name of this is the Restoring Human Podcast. So we want to kind of build out what that really means, right? Yeah. What do we see as a normal human should be doing as far as lifestyle for us to be healthy? So we're going to kind of generally give an overview of what that means. And then, of course, we'll do more detailed shows on each one of them. Word. Thank you guys for listening. If you have feedback for us, please, please, please let us hear it. We're on Facebook, Instagram. This is going up on iTunes, uh, YouTube. You can comment on almost all those places. Uh, with iTunes, you can leave a review. Uh, let us know if you like it. Um, yeah, we would love to hear from you if you are one of our early adopters and listening into these first few episodes. So we're going to constantly try to make this better, um, and we can do that more so if we have your help. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks, guys.